I feel like the most basic thing that I see people, especially that start businesses, uh, that they screw up with is that, and this is the most basic type of deal, is if you make an agreement with somebody or you have an exchange with somebody, get it in writing. Mm. Okay. Get it in writing. The hardest thing to do, you can be, I have clients that walk in here all the time that are 100% right. They're entitled to every little bit of legal relief that they're entitled to or that they are that they would otherwise be entitled to, but they don't have something in writing that it would have made it a million times easier if it were in writing. And they end up spending three or four times more in legal fees than what they should because yeah. they didn't take that final step and say, let's get this down and make sure that we've got signatures and that it's on paper. Welcome to Money Vision U. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today we have Mr. Kendall Grooms with us, who is an attorney, and he's going to come on the podcast and help break down a lot of different legal things that we need to know about, some practical stuff. This is going to be a super practical episode, very, I think, important information. So, Kendall, thank you for coming on the podcast and welcome to the podcast. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So, just to start, I guess, give a little bit of a bio on yourself and how you I guess, got into law and or how long you've been an attorney, et cetera, things like that. Just a little background on yourself. Sure. Uh, my dad was an attorney, still is. He practices at the Qualabom Grooms and Toll Law Firm. He's the grooms in that. He's my dad. I didn't work for him. They had a no nepotism deal amongst mm-hmm. the attorneys there. And I was the oldest of any of their kids that went to law school and graduated. So I ended up starting my own firm uh, in 20. 20- 2012, we started this firm. So okay. we, this was our this is our tenth year now. Uh, but I went to college up at Fayetteville to the U of A. Uh, went to law school down here at UALR in Little Rock, and I did practice. I passed the bar in 09, Practiced as an associate at a firm for three years, and then broke off and started Campbell and Grooms. So that's okay. what I'm doing. Now. Okay, awesome. So yeah, you're running a business while doing. It, it, when, I think of when people start their own firms, think like things like that. That's running your own business, and then yeah. you know, obviously, in your art of law and things like that. And I think it's great that you're on the podcast. It's long overdue to have a Money Vision You episode uh, with an attorney on the podcast because how confusing is law and reading a contract? It is, it's like it's written in the Shakespeare time. You know, it's just confusing to even look at some of these contracts. And, you know, that's not necessarily, you know, me as an investor, it's not my job to really know the uh, it's my job to know the contract, but not necessarily be able to interpret everything. I need to be with an attorney like you to be ha- be able to help me kind of decipher some things. So that's why I wanted you to come on this podcast because sure. I think it's un- important we to call understand. It, we call it legalese. The legalese. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that language, the here to fours and the here and above yep. and all those things that you read. Yeah. The italic uh, Latin words. Yeah. All that good stuff. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can help us become a little bit more 
literate and legalese <laughs> and and her and understanding that language. So yeah, I think it's great to have you come on and just talk about some of the basics because I is it do you specialize in real estate uh, being a real estate attorney or are you kind of in a broad spectrum there? What yeah, is- so you know technically we're by ethics rules, we're not allowed to say we specialize in anything oh, okay. anymore. But our the area of focus that we have is actually primarily litigation work. Uh, we do a lot of courtroom stuff uh, in different areas. Now that primarily involves real estate. It's just the nature of what we've ended up doing. Uh, my dad's a real estate lawyer. They get conflicts all the time. They're one of the five biggest firms in the state. We get cases from that. Uh, We've developed a pretty good reputation with the Arkansas Real Estate Commission and the uh, Arkansas Realtors Association. So we get lots of referrals from different real estate brokers, real estate agents. uh, We work with people like like yourself. You've got some investments going. We've got other uh, property managers that we do different things for. And over time, that kind of work has evolved to where I've done some transactional work as well. So like we've done representation work for Colliers on the commercial side. Mm-hmm. Our firm represents David's Burgers, everybody that's in Arkansas. Oh, okay. Central that's Arkansas knows what David's Burgers is. Yeah, we do all there. So we've ended up doing a bunch of their transactional work, litigation work. And so it's really turned into that to where it's multifaceted now, where we were originally just to focus on litigation only. And through the litigation, we picked up some transactional stuff. And now I've ended up doing a lot of that, but we've done... I don't know how deep your your podcast has gone into tax stuff, but we've done several 1031 exchanges um, for people. We've done commercial leases, commercial sales, residential leases, residential sales, helping people flip, all kinds of stuff. Okay, yeah, it's a broad spectrum now. We're a small law firm, so we just kind of do what we are comfortable doing and what we can do and what pays the bills. Yeah. Well, first takeaway there is... uh, if you're not from Arkansas and come to Arkansas, you have to go to David's Burgers because it's, <laughs> I mean, you can't beat David's Burgers and they're all you can eat fries and that's delicious. But then uh, secondly, let's do a couple of these legalese terms. <laughs> I'm going to ask you just to define just so we, the audience really understands kind of what you're talking about. So just with a word like litigation. So you said you do a lot of litigation. What what does that mean? So litigation is when someone gets sued. If you've got a suit, whether in the real estate world, it's something simple like an eviction or there's a cause of action called an unlawful detainer, where if somebody's if you've got a rental contract and it runs out and they stay there, they hold over. You might have a right to do an unlawful detainer, that kind of thing, or, you know, a breach of contract. Okay. Uh, or if okay. a personal injury case comes along, you know, that's something that we've done. It's, we don't do it primarily, but we've done some of that stuff in the past. Okay. And then transactional is the stuff that doesn't involve the courtroom. It's things where you're doing contracts, buy, purchasing and selling property, land, leasing things, running a business, forming businesses. I know that's one of the things you said at the outset is talking about mm-hmm. LLC formation, corporations, how that works, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So anytime someone's getting sued, it's a litigation case and there's, there's contracts and all sorts of stuff, whether it's buying real estate, you know, and someone backs out on a contract, that could be a reason for litigation or even, I guess, technically an eviction. I, I mean, a lease is a contract. So if someone is not paying rent, that would be a breach of contract, I guess you could say. And so that's uh, an example of that. So, um, yeah, OK, p- perfect. So litigation and then putting together different contracts and things like that. And with... <laughs> With the topic of litigation, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's me from the outside. You're going to know better than me, but it seems like there's, it's easier to sue people. It's more frequent. Uh, and that's just more of a reason to 
be better insured and have better protection legally with contracts. Are you seeing more? And maybe that's just kind of a stigma right now that more people are suing. Is that something that you're seeing? Yeah, I think that the world we live in kind of has gotten overly litigious, especially in the digital age now where I don't even have to go to the courthouse anymore to file a case. Mm. You know, even certain persons who are, here's a Latin word, pro se, meaning they represent themselves without a lawyer. Mm. Even they have the opportunity now where they can get an e-file username, password, and they can get online and file a case for themselves if they want to. So it has it has become a lot easier, especially in the digital age, to get lawsuits started. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely what it seems like. Digital age, making it easier definitely makes sense. And, and COVID helped that also, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. it made so many things remote, like what we're doing here on Zoom. It gave the capability of someone who normally might be nervous about going downtown to an office. Mine's not, but you know, people don't want to go deal with parking and getting in big buildings and things like that. They don't want to go sit down in a room with a lawyer. It made it it made the lawyers a lot more accessible and compatible with people where they could go gotcha. get information easier that they might not have wanted to ask for in the first place. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, let's talk about how to, how we can be protecting ourselves to help in the case of if someone does try and sue and things like that, obviously, you know, I, I'm an insurance agent and you're an attorney. So we're always having to think about worst case scenarios, which is not fun for anybody to think of, but it is reality. Um, and it does happen at more now than it used to. So let's just talk about how people can protect themselves and their assets. We don't we don't need a law degree necessarily, but the cliff notes of what your average Joe needs to know. So to start, I guess, just take us through, we're going to look at different ways to set up structures and how to protect yourself from a liability standpoint and maybe a tax standpoint, but I guess just starting with an LLC, people hear LLC all the time, limited liability company. What does that mean? What is the purpose of it? How does it really help protect someone? Yeah. So this is one of the things I I knew you were going to ask me about today. I know we didn't talk about it on the front end, but I, I knew you wanted to talk about some formation of LLCs. And it's a really common misconception because of what it's named. It's named a limited liability company. So the everyday person looks at that and goes, hey, I can form one of these and it's going to literally limit my liability if something goes wrong, whether it be, you know, I got a loan in this LLC and if something goes bad, I'm not going to have to repay the loan. Or if someone sues me because they get injured based on the business that I started in this LLC, I'm going to have limited liability. And that is true to an extent, but it's not always. And so here's and I don't know if you have listeners outside of the state of Arkansas, I presume that you do because mm-hmm. you made a reference to those that are not from here yeah. eating at David's Burgers well, if they come right. to Arkansas. <laughs> but in Arkansas, that's the law I'm most familiar with. I'm licensed here, Oklahoma and Texas, but I've been licensed in Oklahoma and Texas much shorter period of time than Arkansas. And the majority of my work is here. So in Arkansas, there's two keynote cases that talk on this point about limited liability. One of them is the case called McGraw versus Weeks. Um, It's a case from, I think it's back in the 80s. It's cited all the time. And it's about a guy who owns a crop dusting company. And you guys, you know, Mm -hmm. depending on where you are listening to this, Arkansas, there's a lot of farming here. Right. So crop dusting guy. And it's a really windy day. And the president of this company is down there and the pilot says, we can't spray this today. It's outside of the technical regulation to be able to spray this stuff. And the president says, go spray it anyways. I don't care what's going on. We got to get this job done. And of course, there's drift of the spray and it kills adjacent crops across the street. And the guy says, well, because I'm the president of this court of this company, 
I'm the owner of this. I can't be personally responsible for it. And the Arkansas Supreme Court through that case established that if you are the hands-on person making the day-to-day decisions of the company that causes some kind of damage, then you can be personally held responsible for it, even if it's in a limited liability company or a corporation. So that particular case was a corporation. It was later extended in another case called Bayard versus Floyd a few years later. You can tell I cite all these a lot, but Mm -hmm. later, and it did extend the application to employees and to officers uh, in other officers aside from the president and to members of a limited liability company. And so property management is a great example of this. Um, If you have an LLC for the purpose of buying rental properties, let's say, Mm-hmm. And you have several rental properties and you are self-managing those rental properties. And some one of those tenants puts you on notice that, hey, there's an issue with this property in the front yard. There may be a sinkhole or something like that in the front yard. Something's going on that needs to be checked out. And you neglect to look at it for two or three weeks or you know, even a week. It's dependent upon the circumstances of how quickly it should be addressed. And you don't address it. And some you know, eight-year-old walks into it, falls and either kills themselves or they die from it or it hurts them really bad. Your neglect being the person that was responsible for taking care of that can cause you to be personally liable for all of that harm that was caused, even though the LLC was the owner of that particular property and was probably the landlord under that contract, that rental contract that you had. But if you, in Arkansas, if you hire a third-party property management company, so it becomes kind of the CEO situation where you're just kind of the overseer, but these day-to-day decisions are being made by a third party, then that responsibility falls to either the third party or to the true limits of liability of your LLC, meaning the limits that they can get from you are the assets owned by the LLC and not you personally. Okay. And so that's why there's this common misconception about what limited liability company means. I know that's a long way around okay. it to get that story, but it does not mean that you're 100% protected and give you the freedom to neglect your business or something that could harm somebody. Okay. So I guess the first question is, with a limited liability company, I guess I, I guess the first question I would have is, say your incident happens, sinkhole, young, let's say a fourplex, and that limited liability company only has that fourplex in it, and let's say you're managing it yourself. So first question is, are you saying they could or could not come after other assets that you may own? Let's say you, you own another fourplex that's adjacent, but it's in a separate LLC, could they sue uh, enough, I I guess at a price high enough to where they would come after not just what's in the LLC that they, I guess uh, you were liable for their, for your neglect on the sinkhole that you didn't take care of, but they could come after other assets. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So let's assume that your fourplex there is worth a half a million dollars. That that may be way overpriced, but let's say it's worth a half million dollars and you get a judgment against you for the little boy's death. Let's say worst case scenario, he dies falling into the sinkhole. It's like, you know, 10 feet drop, 10 foot drop or something like that. And they get a $5 million judgment against you. If they get it against you individually, they can go after any other asset that you own. So if you have a membership interest in another LLC that owns property, another fourplex that's already paid for, they can go get that one as well. Okay. But if you have a, so that's if you're the day-to-day decision maker, if you have a a third-party property management company that really is managing the property, 
you can almost protect yourself uh, from a liability standpoint, just that's not an employee, but for lack of better, I guess, a contractor, it, they would help, help protect you from a liability standpoint? Yes. Okay. It, it essentially takes you off the hook. Now, there can be a limited circumstance where if you instructed the third party management company to do yeah. something or not to do something, it can come full circle. But if you're truly hands off and say third party company, just send me the bill every month or send collect the rent, send me the net difference after repairs and your fee, then yeah, you're off the hook for that. And the limit of the assets that can be sought after, uh, the limit for your purpose that can be sought after would be that fourplex, the asset. Okay. Itself. okay. So then would you recommend, so is an LLC worth it? I guess, you know, Absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. So someone like myself, you know, I have my house, but then I go and decide to buy a fourplex. What's the difference from a liability standpoint? Obviously you have the company, but uh, I guess break it down on what the difference is. If I go put that fourplex in Stuart Berryhill's name versus put the fourplex in, um, I don't know, one, two, three main street LLC name. Yeah. I mean, if you put it in your individual name, regardless of what happens, you have the distinct possibility of being on the hook for that, even if you have a third party company that's managing it for you. And the LLC does provide that level of protection. Okay. Now, you you hit on this as far as how do we best protect ourselves at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's what I was thinking as well before we walked through the LLC deal and and how that all works. But the actual best way to protect yourself is to ensure that you have adequate insurance for mm -hmm. something. And so a lot, and you may have talked about this on the show. I know you've got dozens of episodes that are out there and you may have talked about it before, but most insurance companies, if you have car insurance, uh, at a, if you have those limits at a certain height, I don't know what it is in other states. I think in Arkansas, it's either 100, 200 or 150, 300, something like that is those liability limits. If mm -hmm. you have that, then you can buy an umbrella policy mm -hmm. and they're cheap. I mean, I know just because I'm a lawyer, I have an umbrella policy because, you know, some mad client for some reason could come after me if they felt like right. it. So I have a $2 million liability policy and it's like $200 a year for $2 million yeah. liability policy. Now you pay a little more on your car insurance side of it, and but it averages out to be almost nothing to get that, that insurance coverage on an umbrella policy. Yeah. And pretty much every client that I have that we form an LLC or some other structure like that with an LLC, especially to own rental properties or other things that I call liability property that could result in major damages to someone. If someone gets hurt, then those insurance policies, we talk about it every time, making sure somebody has yeah. one and has adequate coverage. Yeah. And it, and like you said, it is pretty cheap. And, you know, even if, you it does say it does cost more to do you know three hundred thousand dollars of liability just for easy terms with uh auto or home to raise that to 500 but then also say you have umbrella it can almost cancel out that premium to where it's really not a net of too much of an increase and so you're saying you know if you have a, a fourplex put it the best the best way to protect yourself in a real estate deal. And I know I'm talking about real estate here and we can definitely dive into maybe some other business types, Sure, but um, this fourplex deal, best way to protect yourself, have a liability uh, uh, LLC created, and then also have, make sure you have like, I think 500,000 is the max for uh, policy. That's not like a commercial policy, 
but then you could do an umbrella on top of that to give you an extra million of liability coverage. So you have $1.5 million of liability coverage. You have your LLC in place, and that's really going to be the best way to protect yourself. Yeah. And as far as the additional cost goes for insurance to cover what the, and even the formation of the limited liability company, the initial setup costs, there's in Arkansas, there's an annual $150 fee that you have to pay. That's called a franchise tax that you pay mm-hmm. to the, it's now the department of finance and administration where you pay it to all those costs, including any additional insurance increase can easily be offset by the tax benefits that you get from utilizing the LLC as well, especially up through 2025. As long as that, the provisions of that 2018, uh, what was it? The tax, tax cuts and jobs act from 2018, that one, uh, that's been really helpful as far as what it provides to those persons that run okay. LLCs, especially those that run LLCs as a pass-through entity. Yeah. Tax. So basically what you spend on the formation of the LLC and things like that, you can use as a cost for your business and that can offset taxes that you want. That does. But just even the tax code of how it benefited LLCs, we could do a whole episode on this. And I'm Uh, not a tax lawyer. Certainly, I just run my own personal business this way. So that's why I know. But there's that qualified business income deduction that you get under that act, which is where you pay yourself a salary as part of the LLC. And then anything else is a shareholder distribution, as long as your salary is a reasonable number. And that qualified business income deduction allows you to to deduct 20% of all shareholder distributions from tax payments. So, you know, if you make even $100,000 a year, you split it 50-50, 50% paying yourself a salary and 50% shareholder distributions, you're talking about $50,000. If you're in even the 18% or 20% tax bracket, that's a pretty substantial savings. You're saving several thousand dollars a year just because you ran your business through an LLC for that sole purpose. Gotcha. Follow-up question to that. Why would someone pay themselves a salary and then shareholders distribution? Why don't they just give themselves the full salary or, and that may be a tax question. I think it probably it is. is a tax well, question, it is. But... And I can, I think I can do it simply without spending too much time on it, but the way that the formula works of to determine whether you get that qualified business income deduction or not is that it's a ratio of how much you pay yourself in salary versus how much you pay yourself in shareholder distributions. Because a salary means you have to pay wage withholding just like you're an hourly employee mm-hmm. or a salaried employee at a business where you're getting taxes taken out. The shareholder d- distributions, you avoid paying that employer tax to yourself and some other employer social security taxes. And so the federal government for a long time had it in place where you could pay yourself as long as you paid yourself a reasonable salary that you could then take as much as you want in shareholder distributions. And people were abusing that. People that should be making $150,000 a year were reporting $50,000 a year in salary and taking advantage of the situation where they didn't have to pay employer tax and employer social security by using shareholder distributions. Well, when they restructured it in 2018, they made it beneficial to do a ratio correctly of if I pay myself this much in salary, then I can take the qualified business income deduction up to a certain percentage of that salary. So they basically made it a math problem where it was beneficial to have a certain percentage of salary to maximize that deduction that you could get. Okay. Yeah. So they got their own math formula. It's a lot. If you if you go out and Google the qualified business income deduction, there's all kinds of formulas and calculators out there now that show you the benefit of an LLC and, and how you can save money by doing that ratio correctly. Yeah. And it, you know, it's good for listeners to understand what's out there, but then not trying to do it themselves. It's important to have an attorney like yourself, a CPA, whoever, you know, 
people CPA might be, your tax person that knows the law, that knows um, the tax code, that helps you benefit from what is out there and makes you aware of what is out there like you're talking about um, in this episode. So uh, don't necessarily try and do it yourself for the listeners out there, but understand what's out there. Um, I listen to a lot of real estate podcasts and I love the ones where an attorney comes on just because I'm learning stuff. I'm not ever going to put an LLC together myself or um, try to do anything like that. But it, it's just good information to know, um, just to have a baseline of understanding, but always have someone like Kindle or uh, other CPA or uh, tax um, accountants, things like that to help you out to know the codes, know the laws, things like that. So we've definitely dove into the LLC here, especially on the real estate side. What about just a business side? Uh, I guess for, you know, like a law firm or an insurance um, brokerage or things like that. Would that go into an LLC? What's the benefit there? I guess, obviously, you have all the different employees and things like that to where you're going to be able to protect yourself from liability with umbrella policies. And you're maybe at the top making a decision. But for someone with a business, what when does an LLC fit that business mold? So with the way that the tax code is currently structured, I think an LLC can fit any business model. Um, the reason is the IRS allows you to form an LLC and receive the benefits, especially on the tax side of the LLC, but be treated as a corporation for purposes of, ha your, of how you're actually taxing yeah. things pass through. So what I do, what almost all the people do, it depends. Some people CPAs based upon their business structure and their ownership will tell them to do uh, to do a different model. So you have the opportunity as an LLC, if it's more than one person in, involved in your business, you can elect to be a partnership if you want mm -hmm. to, or you can be, you can elect to be treated as an S corp, which is nothing more than a pass through corporation is the way it's treated. Um, if you're a single member LLC, then you can elect to be treated as a sole proprietorship, which is the individual version of partnership, the way it's taxed. Or you can also elect as an S-Corp pass-through entity. The S-Corp pass-through entity is the one that I utilize most often because it takes those tax benefits like we talked about a minute ago with the qualified business income deduction. A partnership doesn't get that, doesn't get that tax benefit right now. So the way that our, as an example, because I'm very familiar with this, the way our law firm works so we have a top level, what's called a PLLC. It's an LLC, but it's a professional limited liability company. It means the persons that are members have to have a certain license. So since we all have law licenses, we can't have anybody be a member of our LLC that doesn't also have a law license. So it's just called a PLLC. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then underneath that, we have three attorneys. We have myself and I have my own PA. It's Kendall W. Grooms PA. Don Campbell, my the older law partner here, has got Donald K. Campbell, the third PA. And then my uh, our younger partner who joined us in January, Parker, he's got Parker L. Spaulding, PA. PA stands for Professional Association. You see that a lot with doctors and dentists. They'll set those up. And that actually is a corporation. So we elect as an S corporation. So we have this LLC at the top that's treated as a partnership. Our three professional association corporations are the members of that LLC. So they're the owners. And then I'm the president of my professional association. Parker's the president of his and Don's the president of his. And then each one of ours are also employees of uh -huh. our own professional associations. Uh -huh. And we run it. So that's how we do the system. Our law firm at the top end, Campbell and Grooms, it pays no tax. 
So it every expense okay. and income flows down from the LLC to each one of our three professional associations based on our ownership interests. And then from there, I have I can have my own small business deductions. Like I run my health insurance through my business. My health insurance premiums are fully deductible as a business expense since I qualify as a small business and a sole proprietorship. So there's various tax benefits that you can have uh, that do that. And then from there, all of those expenses are taken out and whatever's left over as net income passes down to my personal tax return, which most people are familiar with, the 1040 form that's filed annually every year. And then from there, I take my basic either standard deductions or itemized deductions on my 1040 tax return. Okay. So that's kind of the structure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as complicated as it sounds. Once you get anything set up, it's not that complicated because we just keep the books handed off the accountant every year and they prep the tax returns and we understand how it works. I understand how it works just because I've advised so many people on setting up these in these various circumstances. Okay. Um, I, so that can work for any number of things. It can. I, I set up an LLC a couple of years ago for a guy that was buying a Papa John's pizza franchise uh -huh. out of Mel. I mean, you can do it in any number of ways. You just have to understand how to keep up with the books and how all of that flows through personally and how you can benefit from it. So, yeah, that's definitely like a mouthful and something that I... Uh, I it's hard to even figure out what the right follow-up questions are because there's yeah. so much legal structure, but that, you know, you learn that stuff at law school and things like that. And, and you're just like really well protected with your law firm, so to speak, but it really, it almost seems like a tree. It, like you have a top uh, with your PLLC, but that no one, I guess, can ever get to because then within that, and I know, I guess a law firm is very different from other businesses because you have your clients and um, your other partners have their clients or with your one firm. But basically the purpose is, say you have a client that does something or something goes wrong between you and the client. They're not going to be able to sue anything outside of you. They were like, they wouldn't be able to go after your partners. Is that kind of the intent of the structure? Yeah. And so that is the intent of the structure. That's the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, in theory, if Don and I both worked a case and something got screwed up, a deadline, you know, a lot of times the most malpractice cases you see are where a deadline gets missed and a client gets punished because the lawyer missed a deadline. They didn't put mm, something on gotcha. the calendar. And so when that happens, Don and I, if it was both our responsibility, we could both be pursued. But if Parker wasn't involved in the case at all, they're not going to have the ability to go after him. So it goes back again to that the crop dusting case of who was the person that was responsible, who made those decisions that still applies even in the law firm. If I screw something up, despite the structure of the firm, I'm going to end up on the hook for it. Now, just like we right. talked about with the umbrella insurance, we have malpractice insurance. That's a separate policy over and above the umbrella that I have in the whole firm is protected under a malpractice insurance policy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of different levels to the liability, um, I guess, coverage from the legal standpoint, not even the insurance standpoint. That's that's like a separate, uh, I guess. I mean, it ties in together, but there's levels to it. Um, uh, and, and obviously, like I said, law firm, very different than uh, probably a lot of other business. Let's just say someone has an electric company uh, or you know, they're, the, they're an electrician. You know, should they be in an LLC or a sole proprietor 
what so the elect- so an electrician for an example it? if if the state that you reside in has a license required of the electrician that electrician has options similar to the law firm actually you can have mm-hmm. that that llc I don't, I don't know if an electrician would qualify for a PLLC, but certainly the professional association with that licensure, that separate licensure, then you could set up a similar thing, elect as an S-Corp and go for it. So the difference, this is a nuanced difference that I only learned a few years ago from a CPA, is that if you set up an LLC as a partnership, you know, we talked about the difference, like our LLC at the top level here at the firm is a partnership amongst the three partner corporations, those professional associations that are here. If you set up as a partnership, you cannot pay yourself a salary. You cannot, you can pay salaries to other employees, but the owners themselves cannot be paid a salary. So you can't like work for yourself and receive a salary. Any money that you received is not going to get the benefits of that qualified business income deduction or any of those. If you elect as an S corp where everything passes through, even at the LLC, you do get those benefits. You can pay yourself a salary. So that's something that people often have to consider, like with an electrician. So if you're an electrician, are you going to, obviously you're going to work for yourself in that business. Uh, you're going to, you're going to be out doing work at people's right. houses and businesses and things like that, supposedly, unless you get big enough that you're just managing crews mm-hmm. and things along those lines. But those employees that you have, I call them employees, those people that you have working for you, are they going to be employees are they going to be independent contractors? And when I talk about independent contractors, I don't know how familiar your listener base is with that, if y'all have ever discussed it before. But, you know, there's a distinct difference between an employee and an independent contractor. Right. And they they get the 1099 form with the IRS and you really don't they have no responsibility to you. They have to be on their own schedules, do right. their own things, whereas an employee has a day to day schedule and an actual contractual relationship with the business. Yeah. An Uber driver is an independent contractor. You know, that's a 1099. And yeah, we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode with the CPA and yeah. different ways. Some of so those that has to be analyzed. That That is important to look at in what structure that you want. But really, the LLC can apply in any of those business structures because it's not even always about getting that limited liability protection. The biggest benefit of an LLC, at least in Arkansas, is the tax benefit, the money okay. that you can get. Okay. From. So there's tax benefits that go with these legal structures. That's definitely good to know. And I think, <laughs> I think I'm probably going to save just S Corp and C Corp and things like that for another episode. This one's just going to be about LLCs and the importance of them, because what I'm definitely hearing is LLC is definitely important. Just need to make sure it's structured right uh, and that you're insured right to really give you the proper protection to yourself and to your assets that you're looking for. Yep. And once you do that, I would recommend getting with a CPA or an accounting professional to ensure that you're getting, that you're maximizing those deductions because a lot of people uh, like even myself and my wife, when we were younger, before we got all this structure set up, you know, we would do our own tax return every year. And I, I look at mine now, what it looks like, and there's no way yeah. I would know how to maximize those benefits right. of the way the structure is set up. So it right. is important to get professionals involved for those types of things. Cause I mean, you're going to spend, eh, I'd say probably a thousand to $2,000 a year. If you have something set up like we do here on tax professionals, preparing those documents, and it's going to save you way more than that to yeah. pay those people yeah. to make sure you've got it done right. Perfect. So a lot of great stuff that you've kind of talked with us about and shared. And <laughs> I, I, I feel think, like all I've done is add confusion to it. <laughs> well, I, I know that there's sometimes that, you know, I've called you and I've like, it's just kind of talking through stuff because d- different people are going to learn by asking maybe different questions to get maybe to the same answer. And so 
you know, some of this is just broad stuff of what we need to know, like a limited liability company. You know, I think some people automatically think that that protects you in every case and you're not or other stuff you own isn't, you know, uh, doesn't have a potential to be liable and things like that. But, you know, LLC company, you're given these cases and these examples of, well, people have passed through the LLC to get to other assets people have owned in the past through these cases. So you really need to do this and that. And I think that's super valuable information. Um, and <laughs> with this, I definitely got to say, I know there's legal zoom and I know there's stuff like that out there where you can put together your own LLC. You can put together your own this and that legal contract. I would not recommend that at all. I, I was in the FedEx store the other day, dropping off something and looked down. And there was a rack of legal documents where you can just walk in and buy a $7.99 contract at FedEx. Yeah, I, I do not recommend that at all. One, you want to know like what you're doing, what you're buying. And then you want to make sure that it is being, I guess, um, customized to what you need. Exactly. Every contract is going to have its boilerplate terms that some of them change depending on the transaction, but you're going to have the same concepts, but everything is specific. Everything needs to be customized yeah. to make sure it fits a specific transaction. Yeah. Everyone's kind of doing different things. So that is why I do not recommend legal zoom or anything like that. Have an attorney that you're going to, it can be local, you know, Kindles in Arkansas. And you know, you said you're licensed in Oklahoma and Texas. And with that, people should know it. Like if you live in California, your, your laws may look different. And so it can be different state by state of different things that may be going on. But so obviously you need a uh, attorney that is licensed in that state for sure. But that really knows the code. And you can tell from listening, listening to Kendall that he knows the code. He knows the law and what he's talking about. You can feel you can sleep safe at night when he puts your LLC together. And so I, I think. Uh, that's just some, uh, one thing that I wanted to say before kind of getting to final questions here of have an attorney reach out to somebody and have them help with your stuff, ask them questions, things like that. But any of your listeners, especially those that are in Arkansas, they're welcome to reach out to me if they want to. I'm very lenient with my time as far as mm -hmm. uh, helping people get advice initially to make a decision on how they want to do things. And at that point is when I usually form a representation with them of when they actually make the decision. Yeah, let's do this. So I'm not real big on billing people on the front end for answering questions and trying to help them figure out what the next step is. So they can feel free to call. I'll talk to them. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um I'm going to get your contact information here in a second, but uh, to share with the listeners. But before that, I just want to, I guess, close with a question. Are there any other basics within law that you think are important to share, you know, say a 16 to 24 year old or someone, a new business owner? What is, is there anything we kind of miss that is, oh, you got to know this before you get started doing business? I feel like, it is? I feel like the most basic thing that I see people, especially that start businesses uh, that they screw up with is that. And this is the most basic type of deal is if you make an agreement with somebody or you have an exchange with somebody, get it in writing. Mm. Okay. Get it in writing. The hardest thing to do, you can be, I have clients that walk in here all the time that are a hundred percent right. They're entitled to every little bit of legal relief that they're entitled to, or that they're, that they would otherwise be entitled to, but they don't have something in writing that it would have made it a million times easier if it were in writing and they end up spending three or four times more in legal fees than what they should because yeah. they didn't take that final step and say, let's get this down and make sure that we've got signatures and that it's on paper. 
Yeah. And things like, even if it's something like a text message or an email, if you've got an agreement over the phone with somebody, somebody's going to do something, shoot them a quick email and say, Hey, here was our agreement. Can you confirm that that's correct? And that we have the same understanding of what's written in this email. And if they say yes, that's the same exact thing. A contract does not have to be signed by the parties. If you have a writing and you have performance, at least substantial performance of that contract by one party, then you have a contract. Yeah, good point. Have everything in writing, have people sign. That that makes me think of literally something we're going through right now where, you know, we just bought a property and one of the tenants was, um, I guess, a corporation and they had a maintenance guy, but the corporation was paying his rent. Well, what they said, we start, we take over the property, start not getting rent from them. And so we're like, what the heck? Where's the rent? They said that the, it was actually the seller, that um, that the seller had hired them and they were going to pay rent. So we're like, okay, do you have any documentation showing that? And they were like, no, but um, that is what they said. We're going to... And so for us, it's not even a discussion. It's like the lease is in your name. I'm sorry. You have to pay the rent unless you show us any sort of contract that can go against what this contract says here. We're just doing what the contract says. And so that's an example. Hey, there was verbal communication. Maybe, maybe not. I don't really know, but I don't really care. All I know is there's a legal contract. This entity has to abide by or this tenant has to abide by. If they don't, I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're out of luck. The one other simple thing, my law partner, Don, he says it all the time to people, if that you cannot get burned by a deal if you don't sign off on it. So if you have any questions, if you're getting into something, starting a new business, somebody, you know, if you want to sign a vendor contract with a vendor uh, of a business that does food or you're doing a retail store of some kind. So it goes that far. Yeah. That yeah. You have somebody, if you have questions, have somebody look at it. You can't get burned by it if you don't sign it. Yeah, if you sign it not knowing point. the answers, you can get really burned really fast. Yeah. So like the alternative to it, don't sign anything you don't know or don't really. Because who knows what legalese could be in that contract that people are putting out there in front of you. It may seem standard, but there could be something that you just missed or didn't have an attorney review and that could cost you. So that's Very right. good point there. I think that is a great takeaway. Um, yeah, just to end here, how can people get in contact with you and reach out? Maybe if they have questions specifically, probably in the state of Arkansas, Oklahoma, or Texas. Sure. Our uh, our web address is campbellgrooms.com. It's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-G-R-O-O-M-S.com. Uh, all of the attorneys are on there. My email address, if you navigate through the attorneys page, you'll see my smiling face there just like today. Mm-hmm. Um, my email's there. I believe my phone number's there. If not, my phone number's 501-313-4967. Okay, perfect. I will put that in the show notes for the listeners and they can reach out to you. But thanks again for coming on the podcast. This was an excellent episode and I'm sure the listeners definitely learned a lot from this. <laughs> Glad to do it and I'll come back anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching you in the next class.